This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Ready for a few chills? Hmm? Well, they're coming along with the Whistler. You're walking alone in the street at night, and then you hear another set of footsteps and a haunting tune being whistled by an unseen stranger. The Whistler didn't kill anyone, well, that we know of, but he certainly loved watching murders taking place, narrating them for us, and chuckling at the suffering of others instead of doing anything to stop it. He never provided any surname, and the killer was usually punished by some weird twist of fate that only the Whistler seemed to expect. The haunting signature tune, by the way, the theme, was composed by Wilbur Hatch and featured Dorothy Roberts whistling with an orchestra. Now, Bill Foreman had the title role of the Whistler for the longest period of time. Others who portrayed the Whistler at various times were Gail Gordon, Joseph Kearns, Marvin Miller, the announcer for The Whistler, and The Bickersons, and later, the actor who portrayed Michael Anthony on TV's The Millionaire. And it's likely The Whistler was inspired by The Shadow, which began a near decade earlier. So let's see what he has in store for us tonight in this episode entitled Flee from Evil. And now, stay tuned for the mystery program that is unique among all mystery programs... Because even when you know who is guilty, you always receive a startling surprise at the final curtain. In the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. (laughs) Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline, invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story, Flee from Evil. There was almost complete darkness around the parked car on the lonely road on the outskirts of Seattle. And the man at the wheel, heavy set and fifty-ish, tried to peer through this darkness. He couldn't see, but he could imagine what was taking place some fifty yards further up the road. A raised gun, careful aim, and then... The shots that Bert Macklin was waiting to hear. Shots followed by the sound of running feet. A few moments later, Bert's nephew had run to the car, leaped inside, 
And Bert had the motor running, the car in gear, moving forward. Swing around, Uncle Bert. We'll, we'll go back the way we came. Right. You got him? Yes. Yes, I got him. Hey, look, Archie, you're getting off the road. We'll get stuck. Yeah, I step. Oh, oh, we've got to get out of here. You keep stepping on it, and I'll, I'll give her a push. Let's go, Uncle Bert. Get us away from here. Fast! Ah, nothing to worry about now, Freddy. Uh, you're sure you took care of him? Uh, that's what I came here for. All the way from London. Yes, I, I took care of him, I'm sure. You didn't get a look at him? No, it was too dark, but he was sitting at the wheel of his car, and I, I, I slipped up alongside. I see. Well, maybe it's over. Really over, at last. <laughs> There's no maybe about it. All right, but, well, after a month of paying off, wondering when I'd be tapped again, it doesn't seem possible that I'm rid of him, Freddy. Huh? Inheriting money does have its drawbacks, hmm? Decidedly. <sighs> Good thing the fellow was only getting started. Even my entire inheritance could go fast that way. Yeah. You better slow down, Uncle Bert. We're almost into town. We'll go directly back to the party, give some excuse. And, Freddy, hmm? you've done me a great favor. Yes, and you're going to show your appreciation, of course. Our bargain, you know? I'll never forget this. Your help. What you just did back there. It'll be healthier for me if you do forget it right now. Killing a man, even a blackmailer, well, there's some sort of law, isn't there, Uncle Bert? I prefer the other law. The one you mentioned earlier this evening. An eye for an eye. Yes, you did say that, didn't you, Freddy? An eye for an eye. You were quite willing to lend a hand, so eager to cooperate. You feel a surge of confidence back at the house facing the others. As Uncle Bert extends his apologies for being away. Oh, sorry, Lloyd. Veronica, we didn't intend to be gone so long, you know. Quite all right, Uncle. We went for a spin in Uncle Bert's new car. He, he's already imagining all sorts of things wrong with it. Oh, not at all. I, I just wanted Freddie to try it out. He's very handy with machines, you know. My, he is talented, isn't he? Oh, I don't know, Veronica. Uh, I say, where's uh, Uncle Frank? Oh, uh, he left here shortly after you did. Said he suddenly remembered a business appointment. Oh, a business appointment? Frank had a business appointment? But it, uh... Must have been rather important for him to walk out when so many drinks are being passed around. Drinks? Oh, now, look here, Freddy. If any drinks were passed, they were passed right by me. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry what we told Mrs. Fell to act as hostess till we got back. Oh, Oh, your uncle's housekeeper made it quite clear to us that if we wanted any drinks while you two were gone, we'd have to fix them ourselves. Dinner, she said, is the only thing she'd attend to this evening. Oh, did she? Well, I told her we'd only be gone a little while, the old gargoyle. Oh, come now, Freddy. <laughs> Look, I'll attend to the drinks right away. Uh, why don't we all go into the bar? Uh, wonderful yeah, idea. Yeah. Sure. Are you coming, Uncle Bert? Uncle Bert? Huh? Oh, oh yes. Freddy, just a minute. Uh, what's the matter? Frank. Freddy, you don't suppose Frank's the one? Uncle Frank. No, I never thought of that. It is funny, his having a business appointment just after we left the party to keep our appointment with your blackmailer. Could have been, you know. We'll find out soon enough. There's not much we can do now. No. Oh, I can't believe it, Uncle 
Frank? Frank's not really your uncle, Freddy. He's my half-brother. I wouldn't put it past him, sponging off me the way he's been doing, though. Who could that be? Uh, let's see. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, let's see now. You'd be Mr. Bert Macklin, and you'd be Mr. Frank. Well, what, what is it? My car. Hmm? Sidney Harker, private investigator. I don't understand, Mr. Harker. You will. I'd like to come in for a little talk, if you don't mind. Oh, that, that's quite impossible. We have dinner guests. Oh, of course. Naturally, you wouldn't want them to hear what I had to say. Now, see here. What, what is the nature of your business? It all ties in rather neatly with that little display you and Freddie here put on a little while ago on the outskirts of town. Uh, Fred, I think we'd best step outside. Close the door. Now, Mr. Harker, if you'll get to the point. Well, that shooting a little while ago. That was me that Freddy Boy pumped those bullets into. Or rather, it was my overcoat. Uh, you'll notice the holes. What's that? Yeah, I uh, rolled up a few blankets, put my overcoat around them, my hat on top, and left it slumped over the wheel of the car. Oh. I shot at a dummy. I see. Merely acting on behalf of my client. Client? That's right. These days, I'm forced to take anything that comes along. Uh, now to the business at hand, gents. As you know, my client has definite proof, Mr. Macklin, that the death of a former associate of yours was anything but accidental. Your uh, former associate's name was Edward Wilson. This information could be dropped into a mailbox to the police. Unless I pay. You see, Freddy, it isn't over. What do you want, Mr. Hawker? How much? Well, my client feels, in view of what's happened this evening, the attempted murder, that uh, this payment should be five thousand. Five thousand? Freddy, do you... Uh, take it easy, Uncle. There haven't any choice. Now, uh, where do we deliver the money, Mr. Hawker? My office will do, Freddy boy. Say about uh, nine tomorrow evening. Good night, Jen. We're sick, Freddy. Beaten through. <laughs> it's funny. Funny? I fail to see the humor of it. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a murderer after all, am I? <laughs> no, that's right. You're not. During dinner, you watch your Uncle Bert closely. His eyes wander about the table, settling on one guest and then another. And you know what he's thinking about, don't you? Uncle Frank could still be the blackmailer, couldn't he? You know that thought is going through your Uncle Bert's mind. Then there's Lloyd Gillis, an associate at the lumberman. He could be Mr. Hawker's uh, client. Yes, either one of them could know about Bert's dead colleague, the one who was supposed to have committed suicide. And occasionally, Freddie, you feel Uncle Bert's eyes are on you, too. Dinner over, you take Veronica home. Then return to the house. Find Uncle Bert has something on his mind. Freddy. Huh? This girl, Veronica. What do you know about her? Well, how much does one know about anyone you meet on a boat trip? Why? I was just wondering about her. Oh, you mean you think that she... Oh, no, that's nonsense. She, she's just here visiting a sick sister, helping out for a bit, that's all. No, if you ask me, Uncle Frank's your black man. It could be anybody, Freddy. Even you. Me? Oh, oh, now, really, isn't that a bit thick? Are you forgetting you asked me to come here all the way from London a month ago to help you out? Yes, I did ask you. We made a bargain. You were to help me get this blackmailer off my neck. In return, I was to make you my sole heir. Yes, 
And if I might point out, you had already been approached by the blackmailer while I was still in London. That's right. I had been approached, but through an intermediary. That's something else I've been thinking about. Why should a blackmailer share his good fortune with a go-between, eh? Because he doesn't wish to reveal his identity to me, or because he doesn't happen to be on the scene at the moment. He could be anywhere. Even in London, Freddy. Oh, really, Uncle Bert? You're letting this thing get you. No, no, you'd better stick with Uncle Frank for your blackmailer. Well, I'm going to turn in, get some sleep. Um, You'll have the money tomorrow night, hmm? Yes. I'll see what I can do. Good night, Freddy. You're worried, aren't you, Fred? Because the thing that brought you here from London, your Uncle Bert's money he's promised to leave you in his will, is slowly slipping away. And you're powerless to prevent it. Yes, Uncle Bert's past is threatening your future. And you're even more certain of it the following evening as you sit in Sid Hocker's office and wait as he calls his client. Hello, this is Hocker. Yes, he's here now. But with only half the money. I know, but he says the rest is tied up at the moment. It'll be a week at least before he can manage the rest. He says he'll have the rest in another week. Right. What? Got it. My client isn't very happy, Freddy boy. But he is giving us more time. One week, Freddy boy. No more. It's while you're walking back to the house that an idea strikes you suddenly. You want to find Uncle Bert's blackmailer, don't you? Yes. But instead of getting rid of him, you wonder about joining forces with him. Then you could start collecting on Uncle Bert's money now, rather than wait years to inherit it. Inside the house, you hurry to the telephone, pick it up, and toy with the dial, counting the clicks. Interesting, isn't it, Fred? If you can learn to count the clicks perfectly, and listen again when Sid Hocker calls his client. And then remember the sound pattern. You'd have it, wouldn't you, Fred? The phone number of your uncle's blackmailer. Once you know that, Fred, you can contact the blackmailer directly. Offer him your valuable assistance in blackmailing Uncle Bert. And split the money with him. One. Two. Three. trial, hasn't it, Fred? From the beginning, when you first discovered that your Uncle Bert was being blackmailed, and your own future fortunes threatened. Yes, you were willing to commit murder to prevent it. But the attempted murder backfired, and the blackmailer doubled his price. But now you feel you're in command again, that your little plan will pay off. A few days of practice, and you can tell any phone number now when you hear it being dialed by counting the clicks, remembering the sound pattern. Yes, 
All you have to do is listen carefully the next time you're with Sid Hocker when he calls his client. Then a great idea hits you. True, it's a dangerous one. Something could go wrong. But it's worth considering carefully, isn't it? And it's constantly on your mind in the days that follow. Then on the evening of your appointment with Hocker to pay the rest of the money you promised, you step into the study, find Uncle Bert standing at the window, staring out into the night. It's almost eight, Uncle Bert. Uh, oh, Freddy. Well, hadn't I better be getting over to Hocker's? You don't have to be there till nine. Perhaps you won't get there at all. You, you mean you didn't manage to get the rest of the money? Oh, I got it all right. It's just that I'm not certain I want to turn it over to Hocker's client. Been trying to make up my mind all day. Oh, now look here, Uncle Bert. I know, I, I know. If I don't pay up, Mr. Hocker's client will expose me. Perhaps that's what I really want. Get it over with once and for all. Why should I go on paying and paying and paying? You bleed me white. But I thought we'd agreed the other day that you'd go on paying for a while at least and bide your time. He's bound to make a mistake. If I could be sure. No, I say pay off this chap. Pay as long as you're able. It, it's better than the noose. Hmm? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it will take time and money, but it'll be worth it. Perhaps you're right, Freddy. We'll catch up to Mr. Hawker's client. You'll see. All right. Bring the car around. I'll get the money out of the safe. <laughs> Uncle Bert had you worried for a moment, didn't he, Fred? Yes. You saw your entire plan collapsing, and all that easy money slipping from your grasp. But suddenly, it was all right. And Uncle Bert agreed to go on paying his blackmailer. Now, with the money tucked away in your coat pocket, you drive downtown to Hawker's office. Good evening, Mr. Hawker. Well, 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 Mr. Macklin. Johnny on the spot, eh? And with the money? Johnny on the spot, yes. With the money, no. Huh? What's this? No, you see, Mr. Hocker, Uncle's had a bit of difficulty raising the money. Now, see here, my no, client... All he asks is a few hours. I see. And do you think that will be agreeable to your client, Mr. Hocker? It might be, and then again, it might not. Uh, why don't you ask your client? All right, I will. You sit at the edge of the desk, try to appear calm as Hocker steps to the telephone and picks it up. You listen carefully as he dials. This is Sid Hocker. Right. Uh, there's been a delay. Mr. Macklin's having a bit of trouble raising the money. What? Oh, no, no. All he wants is a little more time. Huh? Right. Right. Got it. Uh, let me talk to your client, Mr. Hocker. Yeah, no, none of that. Well, I only wanted to, to... I'll answer any questions you have. Is that clear? No. As you wish. You'll just have to call your client again. I can afford it. Well? My uncle is ready to make a settlement. Tonight. He's willing to pay $20,000 if your client will turn over every shred of evidence he holds against my uncle and drop the matter once and for all. $20,000, eh? Well, now, that sounds reasonable. Well, suppose you see if your client thinks so. Right. But mind you, no tricks. No tricks. You've got to make certain, don't you, Fred? And you listen carefully as he dials the number again. It's the same number he dialed before, isn't it? There's no mistake. And you're confident now you'll be able to dial that same number when the time comes. Well, Mr. Hocker? It's a gribble, but my client wants the money delivered here by 11 to 9. Good. I'll see you then, Mr. Hocker. You hurry out of the office, downstairs into your car. 
From the glove compartment, you remove a gun. You slip it into your pocket. As you start back, you see Hawker walk out of the building, head for the parking lot in the rear. Quickly, you move after him. Then in the darkness behind the building, you catch up to him as he slides in behind the wheel of his car. Oh, Hawker. Hey, uh... Oh, it's you. Hey, what's the idea of the gun? Move over. Hmm? What are you doing? I said move over. Wait a minute. That's a good shot. Oh, uh... Start up, Hawker. We're going for a bit of a spin. I think this will do, Hawker. A nice, dark, deserted road. Splendid place for a chap, hmm? What's the idea? Pull over, old man. All right. Now what? Well, first off, that, that, that business about Uncle wanting to make a settlement. That was a bit of a trick on my part, I'm afraid. What? Yes, you see, I, I was merely interested in having you dial that phone again. What are you talking about? I had to make certain I had the right number. You see, Hawker, by simply listening to the dial as it spins, counting the number of you... clicks... You mean you can... Oh, yes, yes. I can dial that number again with very little difficulty. Now, are you going to tell me who the blackmailer is? Or must I find out for myself? You don't know yet? Would it be Frank Macklin, by any chance? Let's see. Or Lloyd Gillis, perhaps? Never heard of him. Oh. I don't recognize the number at all. Of course, it could be a booth somewhere or a little hideaway in the park. I wouldn't know. I see. Well, if you won't cooperate, I shall have to find out by calling. I'm rather certain I'll recognize the voice, and I shall be most careful not to reveal my own identity, of course. Well, now that that's settled, what more do you want with me? I'm no good here anymore. That's right. However, inasmuch as I intend to do business with your client, a sort of partnership arrangement in the near future... So that's it. You're going to be part of the scheme from now on, eh? Yes. And my plans do not include you, I'm afraid. <laughs> does that uh, upset you? Yes, I'm sure it does. Now, I shouldn't want you around, Mr. Hawker, to slip the word to dear Uncle Bert and tell him what I'm doing. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, it's obvious, quite obvious, isn't it, old man? No, no, wait. No, I'm wait. sorry, Mr. Hawker. As you so aptly put it, you ain't no good to me anymore. It's done, isn't it, Fred? Hawker is dead. The threat has been removed. And he lies buried in a shallow grave on the outskirts of town. Now all you have to do is call the blackmailer. And once you've learned his identity without revealing your own, you expect to approach him again later, cautiously, inform him of your plan for a partnership, to continue to blackmail your uncle together. And you're certain he won't refuse, because you then reveal his identity to Uncle Bert. You drive back to town, Park Hawker's car on the lot behind his office building and then hurry upstairs. As you sit at Hawker's desk, you glance at your watch and a smile covers your face. Yes, you're confident now that you've made the right decision, aren't you? Hello, Freddy. But, Uncle Bert, oh, what are you doing here? Looking for Sid Hawker. I thought I might persuade him to tell me who the blackmailer is, confirm my suspicions with this. Oh, no, 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 Uncle Bert, you put that gun away. Hawker's not here. So I see. Delivering the money to his client, I suppose. Uh, yes. I think you should know, Freddie, that I contacted the police tonight. You what? Yes. I told the police why I was being blackmailed, that I 
Killed a man some time ago. I was going to give myself up. But I was going to get the blackmailer first. That's why I came here. I was sure Hawker could lead me to the blackmailer. But I, I, I thought that... I was going to go on paying? No, I decided against that shortly after you left the house tonight. Oh, really? Well, that... That wasn't very clever. No, and you're going to regret it, Freddy. Uh, what? Oh, I've suspected for a long time you were behind all this. Why? Well, that, that, that's ridiculous. Is it? Let's see if my hunch is right. Empty your pockets. Uh, my, my pockets? I'll give you three. Oh, now, now, wait, wait. One... Two. Yeah, all right. All right. That's better. Well, well, you do have the money. My hunch was right. I can explain. So Harker paid off his client, eh? Now, Uncle Bertie, if, if you'll only listen No, to... I could forgive you stealing money from me, but not blackmailing me, Freddy. No, you know, you don't understand this. I haven't blackmailed you. Look, I, 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 I'll find the blackmailer for you. None of your tricks. Put that phone down. Well, let me call a number. I swear you'll hear the blackmailer's voice with your own ears. I'm not that stupid. Me fall for a trick like that. And it is a trick, isn't it, Freddy? You want to catch me off guard, get close enough to me so you can get this gun. No, it's not a trick. All right. We'll see. But you'd better not try any tricks. I'll listen in, yes. But on this extension phone over here. Remember, Freddy, I'll have this gun on you. I've already confessed one murder to the police. Another one won't matter much. Go ahead. Make your call. Everything depends on this phone call, doesn't it, Fred? Your hand is steady, sure, as you dial. You know there can't be any mistake that this is the number Hawker called. You're certain it's the phone number of his client, the blackmailer. At the tone, the time will be ten, nine, and forty seconds. <gasps> Hawker! Hawker was the blackmailer all the time. No. It was you, Freddy. That phone call you just made was a trick. And a very stupid one. No. No, Uncle Bert, wait! Ah! whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Signal Oil Company has asked me to remind you that there's an easy way we can all help to make this holiday season happier for ourselves and others. Drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Bill Foreman, Ben Wright, Ed Begley, Constance Cavendish, and Ted DeCorsia. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Adrian John Doe, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. 
Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember, at the same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. Stay tuned now for Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Yes, indeed. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Our Miss Brooks and a show that was first aired in 1948. CBS presents Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Miss Brooks is a school teacher. To be specific, she teaches English at Madison High. Connie Brooks is pretty enthusiastic about her work, too. In fact, in her own words. Although teaching isn't the most profitable career in the world, you must admit the hours are appalling. But there's always my secret heartthrob, Mr. Boynton. He's the biology teacher at school. And a sweeter, more intelligent scientist never brushed off an English teacher to play footsie with a frog. But he'll come around... Even a biology teacher must sooner or later get a little biological. Meanwhile, I can dream, can't I? Yes, Connie Brooks can dream. Even now, she's in the middle of the sweetest dream of them all. The one that comes right before 7 a.m. Hold me closer, Mr. Boynton. There. Now kiss me. Oh... How does that make you feel? That's what it does to me, too. <laughs> I'll shut it off. Miss Brooks, you'll be late. Kiss me again, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks, you have to go to school. For this, I don't have to go to school. <laughs> oh. Oh. Good oh. morning. Well, if it isn't my favorite landlady. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Davis. What in the world were you dreaming about? Oh, nothing much. Just the school. I was giving an English lesson. Well, from the way your lips were puckered, I thought you were taking a bugle lesson. <laughs> Better get up, dear. Today's the day you're supposed to find out about that new job as head of the English department from your new principal. Oh, that's right, Mrs. Davis. For three years I've been waiting for that job. Three years of scrimping and scraping to get along. Now it's all going to be different. With this raise, I'll be able to run down to Miami once in a while, and after I've had the job a while, I might even go abroad. Paris, the Riviera, Biarritz in the spring, the casino at Monte Carlo. Just how much more money does this new job pay, Miss Brooks? Six dollars a month. <laughs> you better watch your step at Monte Carlo. Money goes pretty fast down there. Money goes fast anywhere. I haven't been able to catch any for years. Now hurry and get dressed, dear. I have a lovely surprise for your breakfast. Another one of your surprise recipes, Mrs. Davis? I hope it's not clam fritters again. You see, dear. Come along. Here you are, dear. Here's your surprise. Armenian pancakes. 
They've been setting for five days. What else could they do? <laughs> I mean, in goat's milk. It takes five days for it to get good and sour. Sour goat's milk? Here, try a bite off this fork. Don't pay any attention to the smell. Oh, please, Mrs. Davis, no. Well, just one bite. Tell the truth now. Aren't they delicious? I don't want to hurt your feelings, Mrs. Davis. But if I were the goat responsible for this concoction, I would hang myself by my own beard. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll have to pass up the pancakes. But, Miss Brooks, it's a crime to throw out these pancakes. What's the crime? Carrying concealed weapons? <laughs> You've got to have some breakfast. Could I squeeze you a persimmon or two? <laughs> no, thanks. I'll grab a kumquat on my way to work. <laughs> Hey, it's funny Walter Denton isn't here yet. He knows I wanted to get to school a little early this morning and meet the new principal. Rather convenient to have one of your pupils drive you around. Yes, my Chevy's still in the shop. I had a little accident Saturday. I ran into a parked car. Oh, that's too bad. I hope you reported it to the police. I didn't have to. They were sitting in the car. <laughs> uh, that's good. I'll get it. Oh, Miss Brooks. Come in, Walter. Well, Walter Denton, how you shot up since I saw you last. You saw me yesterday, Mrs. Uh, Davis. My, how time flies. <laughs> Come on, Walter. I've got to get down early. The new principal takes over today. What's his name, dear? Uh, Mr. Conklin. Osgood Conklin. Osgood Conklin? Why, I've known him for years. We went to school together. Really, Mrs. Davis? What kind of a man is he, anyway? Well, the other children used to call him Stoneface because he never laughed. Oh, fine. Well, I shouldn't say never. I did hand him a laugh one time when we were out ice skating. He was practically in hysterics. What happened? I broke my leg. <laughs> he sounds about as friendly as a subpoena. <laughs> correct any nonsense of this new school, Martha, or my name isn't Osgood Conklin. I've heard all about their lack of principle and discipline, and I won't have it. Do you hear? No one is going to interfere with my making Madison High a well-run school. No one. If anyone gets in my way, I'll crush them. Step on them like so many ants. Squash them. That's nice. Pass the marmalade, dear. And help yourself to some more toast. I hate toast. As I was saying, Martha, I'm sure that the faculty at Madison High is totally incompetent. Oh, please, Osgood, you mustn't let it irk you. Irk? Irk? Drink a little water, dear. It'll go away. <laughs> no understanding. No cooperation. Nobody knows what a difficult job I'm faced with. It's awful. Awful. Please, Osgood, can't you talk without barking? Honestly, sometimes I think Prince is the only one who can really understand you. Prince? Don't mention that lazy mutt to me. Look at him over there. Dead to the world. Well, it's getting late. Now, where's my hat? Confound it, where's my hat? Please, dear, don't bark. I'm not barking, Martha. Once and for all, I don't bark. See? He does understand you. Now, be sure to drive carefully on your way to school. Oh, don't tell me how to drive the car. I'm not, dear. It's just that after all the work you put in, polishing it on Sunday, I'd hate to see... Stop you... worrying. I did the work, didn't I? Ah, look at her out there. Nothing takes a wax polish like a black touring car. Well, Osgood, you'd better get started. 
You don't want to set a bad example for your new teacher. I'll show them a thing or two. I'll show them. Oh, shut up, Prince. Goodbye, Martha. Before we get to school, Miss Brooks, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's a girl. Naturally. Who is it this time, Walter? Well, she's the baker's daughter, Penelope Miller. When I kissed her for the first time the other night, I knew she was different. But, Walter, you've kissed a lot of girls. What's so different about Penelope Miller? She tastes like caraway seeds. <laughs> oh, grand. She's probably built like a pumpernickel. Now, look, Walter, I've got a lot on my mind today, what with trying to make a good impression on the new principal. Well, all I want you to do is help me write her a letter, Miss Brooks. You see, she doesn't think that I'm mental enough. I can't understand it. And I figured, well, you being an English teacher as well as a woman, well, you'd know how to make her think I was brainy. You know, intelligent. I hate to trade on just my sheer animal magnetism. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you are a little beastly in spots, Walter. <laughs> Don't blame yourself. Penelope just doesn't appreciate yet that a man is a thing to be treasured. When will she appreciate it? When she gets to be my age. Oh, I couldn't wait that long, Miss Brooks. What? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. I guess I'm not very mental at that, but you will help me out, won't you? I'll come over to Mrs. Davis's tonight, and we'll write a letter together. What do you say? Well, I don't know, Walter. Walter, look out! That car! What car? That big black touring car! Big black touring car? It's not quite as big as it was. (laughs) You young idiot! Why don't you ask where you're... My fenders, my shining fenders lying in the gutter. Walter, put the man's fenders back on. Well, gee, mister, I didn't You mean didn't it. mean. Why didn't you look where you were going? Well, gosh, it takes two to make an accident. A brilliant observation. But it just happens that I was only going 15 miles an hour. You should have been going 30. We'd have missed you by a block. Now, see here, you red-haired joyrider. It was probably your fault. My fault? Why don't you learn how to drive that hopped-up hearse of yours? Hopped-up hearse? Now, listen here, young woman. I've tried to control my temper, but if you want to play rough, I can get plenty rough. Walter, I've got to run along. I'll leave you to straighten out barking boy. Barking boy? That's the second time today I've been accused of barking. Young woman, I'll have you know I do not bark. Who's your friend? Go home, Prince! Well, classes haven't started yet. Let me see. Pick up my mail first, and then... Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Miss Brooks. Isn't it a coincidence that we're in the same mailbox? Not an overwhelming coincidence. You see, your last name begins with the same letter mine does. Well, that's a start. (laughs) You have such a quick mind, Mr. Boynton. Well, it is thorough. Personally, I think you tax it too much. Don't you think you need more recreation, if you know what I mean? Well, carrying on my biology experiments is recreation enough. You don't know what I mean. (laughs) 
course, I also collect stamps. Oh, that sounds exciting. There's no end to the possibilities. Have you ever tried your hand at beadwork? No, I don't believe I have. Is it fun? Fun? Why, it makes you just tingle all over. (laughs) We must string a few together sometime. Mm -hmm. And basket weaving can be thrilling, too. Really? Yes, if we're both in the same basket. (laughs) Well, so much for the world of sports. Uh, Miss Brooks, if you don't mind my changing the subject, are you going to be busy tonight? Busy? Me? Mr. Boynton, I couldn't be unbusier. Well, I'd I'd like to come over after dinner, that is, if we can be alone. Alone? We'll be absolutely isolated. (laughs) I hope you don't think I'm too forward, Mr. Boynton, but I've anticipated this moment for quite a while. Remember the day about five years ago when I first came to Madison High, rounded a turn in the corridor and bumped smack into you? Oh, yes. I was teaching chemistry then. You put quite a dent in my Bunsen burner. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, that was the day I first suspected that we'd be more to each other than just fellow faculty members. And when were your suspicions confirmed, Miss Brooks? On our very next date, when you took me to lunch, two years later. (laughs) Gad, you were a fast worker. I don't blame you for kidding me, Miss Brooks. I guess I'm not much of a whirlwind romantically. Then... Most scientific people aren't. You see, the study of evolution alone tends to slow down any of the mere intemperate reflexes. Mm -hmm. You must realize that a tremendous period of time was involved before the single cell divided itself in the sea and adapted itself to the land and the air. Mm -hmm. Countless centuries passed before lower forms of life assumed their new shapes, generations before the mammal family produced the ape family and before the ape family produced the human family. What have you been waiting for me to do? Slip back a notch? (laughs) Well, uh, what time do you think you'll be able to come over tonight, Mr. Boynton? Oh, Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks. Let us not tarry. Your new principal, Mr. Conklin, is due at any moment. Oh, we'll be sorry to see you go, Mr. Darwell. Yes, you've been a wonderful principal, Mr. Darwell. Why did the Board of Education decide to have you transferred? Ours not to reason why. Ours but to teach and die. <laughs> As the great Socrates so aptly phrased it, if you've got to go, you've got to go. <laughs> Of course, I am genuinely sorry to leave old Madison High, but then we're teachers, and teachers can't afford sentiment. We can't afford anything. As the great Professor Einstein so aptly phrased it, murder, ain't it? You know, I still hope I can land that job as head of the English department, though. Well, that will depend upon the impression you make on Mr. Conklin. I'm taking him on a tour of inspection as soon as he arrives, Miss Brooks. Your class will be the first one visited. Oh, the first class visited? Oh, gosh, Mr. Boynton, if I'm to impress Conklin, I'll have to hurry and get things in order i better go in and erase the children and see that the blackboards aren't throwing spitballs. Poor Miss Brooks, you're a bundle of nerves. You, you look sort of faint here. I'll put my arms around you until you steady yourself. Oh, no, you won't, Mr. Boynton. Just because you happen to catch me at a weak moment, I'm not letting you put your arms around me. My father told me about men like you. Then why are you putting your arms around me? My mother told me about men like you, too. <laughs> Now, class, please let me have your attention. Uh, as many of you know, our, our new principal, Mr. Osgood Conklin, takes over his duties today. So, if he should drop in here at any time, there's no reason for any of us to be nervous, self-conscious, or head of the English department. I mean, uh, I mean we'll just go on in our normal manner. Now, to take up where we left off yesterday... 
Uh, pardon me, Miss Brooks, but Mr. Conklin and I just happen to be passing by. And... Oh, I come right in, Mr. Darwell. Uh, this way, Mr. Conklin. Thank you. Mr. Conklin, this is our Miss Brooks. How do you do, Miss Brooks? Glad to make your... Wait a minute. Oh, thanks, Mr. Conklin. Glad to make your acquaintance too. Oh, you two have met? We sort of ran into each other this morning. Yeah, well, this is the young lady in the accident I told you about. Oh, oh well, uh, Mr. Conklin, I have an idea. Why don't we skip English and drop in on the... Now that I know just who Miss Brooks is, I'm particularly interested in watching her conduct her class. Go right on, Miss Brooks. Well, all right, Mr. Conklin. Uh, now, class, I'm going to read some lines to you, which I'd like you to, I mean, that I'd like you to, uh, well, I want you to tell me whom, no, who, uh, I'd, uh, I'd like the name of the author of the following stuff. <laughs> Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Conklin, not to praise him. Uh, that is, to bury Caesar. Hand, please. No hands. You've all got them, you know. <laughs> Just look at the ends of your sleeves. <laughs> oh, there's a hand. Winona. I can always depend on Winona. Who wrote those lines, Winona? I don't know. I just want to leave the room. <laughs> Never mind the blindfold, Captain. Just give me a cigarette. <laughs> oh, uh, come in, Miss Brooks. How is everything? Well, frankly, Mr. Boynton, I'm a little tired. I just lost two out of three falls to Mr. Conklin. Oh, you've met the new principal, eh? What's he like? He looks like he was weaned on a vinegar popsicle. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, I just dropped by to see what time you're coming over tonight. Tonight? Yes, one of my students is stopping by for a few minutes. I've, I promised to write an intellectual letter for him to a girlfriend he's trying to impress, Penelope Miller. Penelope Miller? Yes, she tastes like caraway seeds. <laughs> if you could just let me know what time you're coming over. Well, uh, I'm not sure about tonight at all right now. I'm quite worried about Violet. Violet? Yes, the, the white mouse I use in some of my experiments. Steady, Violet, dear. Steady, dear. I, I'm just going to hold you for a minute. Mr. Boynton, if you You know, just... I, I don't like the feel of her stomach. Mr. Boynton... It's lumpy. Well, Mr. Boynton, you told me this morning... Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, at that time, I didn't know about Violet's condition. You, you understand, I have to... I know, you have to sit up with a lumpy mouse. <laughs> well, she's terribly peaked lately. I don't know what it is. I think I better have a look at her cage. Hold a minute, will you? Here. <laughs> Miss Brooks, you dropped Violet. She attacked me. Miss Brooks. Ah! Miss Brooks, get down off that desk. I can't. Oh, I see her. She's under that. Ah! She's under the table. Ah! Get her. I'll get her if you just stop that screaming. And and let go of your skirts. And this, Mr. Conklin, is our biology laboratory. (laughs) Why, Miss Brooks, what are you doing on that desk? And where is Mr. Boynton? He's under the table with Violet. (laughs) With Violet? So that's what goes on in the biology laboratory of Madison High. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, I'm sure... So Mr. am I very get... sure. Come, Mr. Darwell. I'll be back when Violet is out from under the table. Oh, no. Oh, I've got her, Miss Brooks. Poor thing was scared to death. Here, and look at her. Isn't she sweet? Isn't Violet a beauty? 
she's ravishing. And may I tell you something else, Mr. Boynton? What's that? You make a lovely couple. Hello, Principal's Office. Osgood Conklin speaking. Who's calling, please? Mrs. Davis. Margaret Davis? Oh, yes, the girl I used to go ice skating with. Ha, ha, ha. How's your leg? What's that? You want me to come over to dinner? Well, I'm afraid I... You uh, say there's a teacher living with you that you want me to meet. A Miss Brooks. Well, I'd like... Miss Brooks! Now, look here, Margaret. I've already met that redhead. Mr. Conklin. Hold the phone, Margaret. Uh, yes? I'm Matilda Denton of the school board. I have reason to suspect that my boy, Walter, a pupil at this institution, has fallen into the clutches of one of your female teachers. What? Yes. He told me that he had a date with a woman tonight at her home. Uh-huh. And here, this note fell out of his pocket when he came home from school. Let me read that, please. <clears throat> at last, I've got what I want. Red hair and a tough, sturdy body. Red hair. Good heavens! Well, Mr. Conklin, have you any idea who this nefarious woman might be? Yes, I have, Mrs. Denton. Pardon me. Hello, are you still there, Mrs. Davis? No. No, I haven't been to a Turkish bar. Now, listen. I have reconsidered. I shall be delighted to dine this evening with you and, uh, <laughs> Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin, I'll give you just 24 hours to find out who my boy is traipsing around with. Listen, Mrs. Denton. Listen, Mrs. Davis. You'll get to the bottom of this matter quickly, or there'll be a new principal here at Madison Hall. Quiet, both of you. Don't you bark at me. I am not barking. Please go home. Osgood, how did you like your dinner? Very interesting, Mrs. Davis. I've never tasted this kind of meat before. Just what is it? It's our usual Monday night supper, seal burgers. (laughs) I'll take these dishes into the kitchen and see about the coffee. I make Bulgarian coffee, you know. It's strained through a grapefruit rind. (laughs) Now then, Miss Brooks, let's get right to the point, huh? What would you think of a teacher who would allow a student to become infatuated with her and then lead him on? I think she was pretty terrible, Mr. Conklin. Who's the teacher? Well, we haven't any positive proof, but the boy's name is Walter Denton. Well, I think they both ought to be arrested. Walter Denton? Yes, Miss Bruce. You can't deny that you were in the car with young Denton this morning. But he was just giving me a lift until my car is fixed. I never see the boy at any other time. Are you sure about that, Miss Brooks? Oh, I'm positive, Mr. Conklin. Must be my laundry. Your laundry at 8 p.m.? I deal with the owl laundry. They only come out at night. (laughs) Excuse me, Mr. Conklin. I'll be back in a minute. All right, Miss Brooks. Hi, Miss Brooks. I keep you waiting. Yes, but not long enough. Look, Walter, would you come back some other time? Come on, let's get into the living room. No, Walter, no. I'm anxious to get that letter started. Not so loud, Walter. Mr. Conklin is in the dining room. 
Oh, the new principal? Yes, and if he finds you here tonight, we'll both oh, be no, out. No, good. We'll have our coffee in the living room. Hi, Margaret. Quick, Walter, hide. Get behind those curtains behind the window. Oh, yeah, but I'll explain later. Get in back of them. Who was it that rang, dear? Oh, it was just a wrong number, Mrs. Davis. On the doorbell? I mean, the wrong house number. You seem quite nervous, dear. Oh, I'm all right. Well, come and get some coffee. It'll uh, calm you down. Thank you. The Bulgarians drink it flat on their back, you know. Uh, I'll be flat on my back any minute, and I wish I was in Bulgaria. Why, you're trembling like a leaf, Miss Brooks, and you're all flushed. Well, it is rather warm in here, don't you think? If it isn't too much trouble, Osgood, would you mind pulling back those curtains and opening the window? Oh, no, not the curtains. No trouble at all. I'd be only too happy to open the window. And I'll be only too happy to jump out of it. <laughs> there we are. Well, where is he? What's become of him? What's become of who? Bobby Breen. <laughs> he used to send me. <laughs> Come on over to the couch, Connie. You're still overwrought. Well, thank you. I uh... lay right down here. Dear. Oh no, thank I'll get you, you a it's... pillow. You know I keep pillows in the window seat just for emergency. I always say you never know when you need them. Bye, hello, Walter. Here you are, Miss. <laughs> you speak yourself. Ow! Margaret, Margaret, what's the matter? Walter Dinton, come out of my window seat. Aha! Just as I thought, Miss Brooks. Where are you going? I thought I'd run down to the Belgian Congo for the weekend. <laughs> Sit down, Miss Brooks. Young man, what were you doing in that window seat? If you'll only give me a chance, Mr. Conklin, I can explain. Go ahead. What were you doing in there? Hiding. <laughs> Walter, tell them just why you came here tonight. Well, I came here to see Miss Brooks. I thought we'd be alone. Oh, oh, no. Well, she was only going to help me write a letter to my girlfriend. I see. Now, let's hear you explain this, Miss Brooks. Here, read this page from Walter's diary. Mine? What is this? At last I've got what I want. Red hair and what a tough, sturdy body. Walter! I wish everybody would stop saying Walter. Look, this isn't even my writing. Here, look at the other side. See, that's my biology notes from yesterday. I asked Mr. Boynton to loan me a piece of paper. Mr. Boynton wrote that? Miss Brooks, don't you get it? Get what? Red hair. It's you he's writing about. Mr. Boynton? Me? Just what he wanted? Tough and sturdy body. <laughs> well, I, I am strong. <laughs> Surely you're not pleased, Miss Brooks. I'm, I'm not? I mean, I'm not. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Mr. Boynton. I thought you said we were going to be alone, Miss Brooks. You too. What's happening around here? Haven't you heard? I've been made queen for a day. Boynton, I'd like to know whether you wrote this or not. Now, let me see it, sir. Yes, I wrote it. It was supposed to go into my diary. What's wrong with it anyway? She is strong, and I did work hard to get her. Oh, Mr. Boynton, please, not in front of everybody. It took 23 generations of crossbreeding to get a red-backed mouse like that. Red-backed mouse? Mouse? Amazing. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I'm afraid I've done you a grave injustice. You most certainly have, Mr. Conklin. You've placed your own meaning on unfortunate incidents. But I... You've accused me of misconduct with no proof whatsoever. And you've acted in general like a narrow, bigoted, unfair person. But, Miss Brooks... Mr. Conklin, I never want to see or talk to you again as long as I live. Not even about the job as head of the English department? 
Mr. Conklin, I've done you a grave injustice. <laughs> Let's sit down on the love seat and talk this thing over, yes. huh? Well, we'll take it up first thing in the morning, Miss Brooks. I've got to be getting home now. Come on, Walter. We'll take the bus together. Oh, we don't have to take the bus, Mr. Conklin. I've got my car outside. Your car? After our collision this morning? Oh, after I left you, I hit another car and everything snapped back into place. <laughs> well, good night, all. Good night, Walter. Good night. Good night, Walter. Good night. Good night, Mr. Conklin. Good night, Mr. Conklin. Well, now there's just the three of us, Mr. Boynton. Mrs. Davis and you and I. Gee, it's a beautiful night. Look at that moonlight streaming through the windows. If one would take a hint, there'd just be two of us. Two of us and one sofa. I said, if one would take a hint, there'd just be two of us. Well, here we are, just the two of us. Good. How about a little gin rummy? Good deal. I blitzed Mrs. Davis three across, but I'd rather have lost to Mr. Boynton. He's certainly naive, my little biology boy. But though he's shy, he's glad of I, and I'm sure he'll soon realize that the greatest thing he'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced and directed by Larry Burns. Tonight's script was written by Al Lewis with music by Wilbur Hatch. Next week at the same time, Columbia will again present another adventure in the far from placid life of our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow, it's Mr. District Attorney, followed by the Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.